look forward to retirement and avoid the pitfalls. Keep listening for ways to maximize your retirement income. More Than Money with the Popowich Carmelli Advisory Group, CIBC Woodgundy, on News Talk 770. Lifestyle matters. It's more than money. I'm Faisal Carmelli, my co-host here, Dave Popowich. How you doing, buddy? Yeah, good week. Good, good. week. Interesting week. Fun week. Um, all those things. The look on my face is when you say it was a good week to start with. Yeah. Start with interesting week. Yeah. I found it interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, more and more people are talking about going outside. Uh, well, listen, we get nice weather, and it's it's going to happen, right? Yeah. And, uh, hope everybody stays reasonable and sensible and whatnot. But yeah. um, you know what? As soon as you get that weather change, right, moods change too. Sure. Right? You can't discount that. Um, yeah, that was part of it. I got out golfing this week, and, yep. uh, you know, that. Uh, so that was a fun week. So there was lots of things going on, um, you know, in the markets and in personal lives. In fact, we're going to talk a little bit about personal lives today. I had an interesting week. So did I. Talking about that. Yeah, you and I were chatting. So we'll, we'll talk yeah. about – we'll talk about um, – the personal aspect of of retirement, of, of lifestyle and retirement, yeah, yeah, um, and the connection to finance because that that's always interesting. But we're also going to talk about real estate. Lots of people invested in real estate. Lots uh, of people really <clears throat> invested in real estate. There's been a bit of a shock happening because of COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of business owners plan to sell their business slash commercial property to fund their retirement. That was their retirement savings. Yep, and so. Given the or fact, even cash flow off of it, right? So hold, hold the building and keep the rent, right? And, and given the fact, not just COVID, yep. but because of the oil crash, mm-hmm. because of what Alberta's gone through, how viable of a strategy is it? Right. You know, and that's that's a key thing that we have to look at. And then all this money, yep, that the being government's yep. being printing and yep. and passing out to individuals and corporations, helping the financial system uh, still work. Uh, we we estimate probably a trillion dollars total. I think we'll get to that number if you add in the monetary policy through the central bank. Yeah, correct? monetary and fiscal policy, yeah. a million. Sorry, a trillion. Yeah. A million. Uh, <laughs> it's not even a rounding error. That's, that's, right. yeah. that's just the first day of interest. <laughs> um, how are we going to pay for it? Yeah. Well, and we're going to talk about uh, some of the other support programs, um, You know, just give an update as to everything that's available. Uh, but lots of questions now about how do we pay for all this stuff going forward, right? So we'll have Jamie Golan back give us a sort of tax breakdown on that. A lot of attention, Dave, this week was on the Canadian banks. Yeah, as it should be. Um, bank earnings came out. Of course, there have uh, big drops in uh, in bottom line, part mainly, I would say, mainly because of this item called loan loss provision. Right. And jump in on this one if you can, mm-hmm. because a loan loss provision is money set aside to cover bad debts that the banks lent out that they feel may not be able to be fully recovered. Correct. And that goes against the capital that, that hits goes the bottom against earnings, directly goes against earnings. And so that's why you're hearing large double digit drops in earnings of these banks. Yep. One bank in Canada, Laurentian Bank, uh, did uh, cut their dividend. Yep. 40%. So, it, it was material. It was 40%. Material. Now, the conversation comes up is always is when these types of things happen. How so strong are the are the banks? Um, I'm not as concerned about that. They've got good capital ratios. They're fitting within a lot of the parameters that have been set even past mm-hmm. the 2008 financial crisis. Yeah. 
What I find interesting is the amount of money that these banks have put aside for loan loss provisions, knowing that that people and companies are not going to pay them back. Well, there's a couple of components to it, um, right? There, there are loans that have, have soured, say 90 days, no payments being made. Then there's another component um, of loan loss provisions that ba- based on uh, the banking system has to be set aside, which aren't yet soured, but they think might. Okay, so they're still performing loans, but they're set into that category of uh, the loan loss provisions, Yeah. right? So if you total it all up for the big, uh, big five, we're about just under $11 billion in loan loss provisions yeah. were announced. You will look at the trading activity this week on the banks, and it was interesting um, because the market was trying really to, to price these things based on whether they thought more loan loss provisions would have to be. So those companies, those banks that were really quite aggressive in setting aside loan loss provisions actually got treated better than those that uh, the market was saying, eh, I'm not sure that that's, that's you enough. Know, I think more is coming, right? Look at oil and gas. Right now, about 3% of the total loan book in, in, in the big banks um, set into that category. But if you go back to 16, I think it got as high as 6%. Yep. So there's some speculation that we're, you know, that there's more to, there's more more to, to come, come here, right? But generally speaking, we did see a positive trade on the banks you know, once these came out, because even with those loan loss provisions that they've set aside, the, um, the, the, they're still strong. The, the interesting part about that is we're hearing the GDP numbers, job numbers come out shocking, you know, almost double digits in uh, GDP loss. But better than expected. But better than expected. Um, double digit unemployment rate mm-hmm. expected. But where does the future lie? Mm-hmm. And I think the loan loss provision gives us a bit of a window to say there's going to be a lot more impact. I have seen just this week alone a handful of restaurants mm-hmm. uh, being announced that they're shutting down. And well, not reopening, right? Right. Bongiorno's yeah. Yeah. one of my favorite Italian restaurants. Well, I didn't see that. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry to hear yeah. that. Um, so I was sad to hear about that. You're gonna. These are just the restaurants because they're front store facing. Yeah. They're known. How many more businesses will shut down, and and how it trickles through is the best indicator of what future losses are going to be in the economy is that loan loss provision. Mm-hmm. And so I'm 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 not saying it's going to be a a really bad situation, but it's not going to be a V shaped recovery in the economy. It's going to take a lot. And everybody to open up in order for us to go back to having a robust economy of 2019 levels. Mm-hmm. And that was robust. So how do you plan for that when you're going through your retirement? You know the next, call it one, two, maybe even three years was is going to be choppy. Real estate. Try selling a home. It was frozen. Mm-hmm. Now it's opening up, and we'll see how that works. So if you wanted to sell your property, your commercial building, whatever, these are the things that people have to think about given today because they, are, they were hoping for that in the year 2020, Dave, I'm going to retire, and I'm going to dispose of my assets so I can live the lifestyle I want. Yeah. And then you get hit with the COVID crisis right. slash oil uh, sla- uh, market slide. It is a hard way to plan this. And so what I, I'm, I still think that people are doing is they're looking at their, their investments, their money, their different pools of capital, 
in silos. They are not yes, collectively putting it together with a plan. Well, and and let me add to that. And and real estate investors tend tend to do this well. Is you can have a massive concentration risk. Yeah. Right. We talk about in the investment portfolio, we put limits as to what your position sizing can be to avoid concentration risk. But um, that that sort of thinking doesn't get carried on a broader perspective when people are thinking about all of their wealth, their total assets. Yeah. Right. So if you had a commercial building, and we're going to talk about commercial buildings today, but if that represented a, a you know a significant portion of your total wealth, then you are subject to the the concentrated risk in that building and the timing on that and and, and the the tenancy and all of those different things, right? And so I think you make a really good point that people need to 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 stop thinking in silos and look at their total wealth perspective. To, How many times, Dave, have we heard? Oh, that's my property, or that's my my commercial building, or my business, and this is my investment portfolio. Just look at my investment portfolio. Well, we're going to talk about that in what? in the fourth segment. This is very, very germane. There's a couple of things I want to raise. Okay. Okay. Um, but it's going to be principally set around that, about a total wealth conversation. Yeah. And and I want not just to think about dollars either when I talk about total you wealth. You could really have capital destruction mm -hmm. when you do not look at your entire net worth and you only look at certain pieces. Right. Because it could really impact. And That's ask right. anybody who invested in oil and gas, lives in Calgary, has their home in Calgary, and has their job in an oil and gas company, and you want to talk about concentration risk? Right. Voila. Right. And they lost their job. Right. And their house fell in value. And their portfolio, which was in oil and gas, fell. Right. And that's not a knock at Calgary because the same could be said of for Vancouver Island if you're in forestry. Or Ottawa. At, at Ottawa at times tech. in Tech Valley. Uh, you it happens everywhere. Yeah. yeah. So these are the issues and concerns that people need to be aware of. And so we're going to talk about that yeah. on Tuesday, June 16th, 7 p.m., live online. You need to register. So go to morethanmoneyradio.com. That's morethanmoneyradio.com to register. Stick around after the break. We're going to be chatting about investing in real estate and retirement here on 770 CHQR and More Than Money. Welcome back. You're here with Dave and Faisal on 770 CHQR and More Than Money. And uh, Faisal, we're going to talk a little bit about real estate uh, because we, we know lots of people, lots of clients, lots of people talk to us about either investing in real estate or have invested in real estate in retirement. Um, and, you know, markets in real estate can do what markets do in, in the, you know, the public markets that we deal with. They can move around and change and so on and so forth. Correct. And there's two major categories when it comes to real estate, Dave. There's residential. Yeah. And then there's commercial real estate. And, and I wanted to spend some time on the commercial real estate because we know many Canadians yeah. have businesses, mm -hmm. their owner-occupied uh, commercial real estate pieces. And many Canadians have bought commercial real estate as an investment. Right. And as they approach retirement, they're going through the debate of, should I buy, sell, hold? What do I do with my real estate? Yeah. So let's bring in the experts. Sounds good to me. We, we've, we've got, got a great game to, uh, uh, guest today, Shane Melanson. He's the director of Melanson Developments and the host of the Investing Advantage podcast. Shane, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Okay, well, let's uh, maybe let's start high level. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about um, you know where real estate can uh, can fit mm -hmm. in an investment portfolio? Yeah, well, I think the. Uh, you know, most of the uh, clients that I work with, and, and even for my own personal uh, real estate holdings, if you will, I focus on assets that I have some influence and control over. Right. And so one of the, you know, primary uh, benefits, I guess, if you will, for commercial real estate, and so commercial real estate could be an apartment building, strip retail, industrial, 
is the cash flow that is generated uh, off of that. Uh, you know, when I started investing in, in residential real estate, most of the gains I, I earned were really from market appreciation. And I think, you know, if, if your listeners are here in Calgary, you know, that argument is, uh, is much harder to make. But with, you know, cash flowing real estate, uh, you know, it, it, it provides a steady stream of residual income. I don't want to say passive because there's still work that is required, yeah. even if you have a professional property manager that oversees it. Um, but, you know, wh- when you look around and you see the people that have done very well, it's usually buying for cash flow, usually some sort of value add component. Maybe that's, you know, vacancy. Maybe you can increase the rents. And, uh, you know, you, you're obviously going to get tax advantages. Uh, it's got scale in the sense that one 50-unit apartment uh, with the right property manager is easier to manage than, you know, even a single-family home for that matter. So, Okay. Um you know, Faisal, we talk to lots of people. We know um, real estate can be a big ticket item, and mm-hmm. uh, Shane will get your opinion on this. So it can often lead to a, a position where you've got a concentration in, in an area, yeah. right? Got lots of money tied up in there. Given the environment today, and, and maybe let's keep it focused to our Calgary audience, Shane. Just sure. How do you, you know, we're weathering some tough times in Calgary. Uh, maybe yeah. walk us through a little bit about some of the strategies you're seeing for people that are on properties Maybe some of those people wanted to, to sell it, but it's not a good time to sell right now, right? So cash flowing and those kinds of things. I'd just be interested to hear a little bit about the strategies to get through difficult times. Right. So, you know, part of that is going to be the type of asset that you're in, right? Sure. So if you're in retail, for example, right now, and let's say, you know, you've got tenants that are restaurants or have been forced to close because of, you know, of what's going on in, in the world, um, that's going to be a challenge, right? And so there's various strategies that I'm uh, I'm seeing other landlords uh, using, whether it's uh, some sort of a rent relief right now, uh, going back to your banks and saying, look, you know, we've got some some stress, and I need you guys to help me out. And and for the most part, the banks are cooperating. If you've got say um, an apartment building then you might be in a much better situation because, you know, the apartment that we've got in in Edmonton, sure, there's a little bit of stress, but we're being proactive, right? So instead of waiting for tenants to come to us uh, and hoping that everything's going to be okay, we go to them, we give them letters, we give them the information. Hey, did you know you can get $2,000 from the federal government? Did you know these plans exist? And we're just being, you know, a lot more... um, uh, aggressive and uh, not not aggressive in, in a negative sense, but just aggressive right. in the sense that we're going out, having those conversations. How can we help you? Uh, and really just trying to work with them versus kind of putting our head in the sand and, and hoping that, you know, we don't hear from, from a tenant because the reality is there's so much going on in the news. Yeah. And I've heard of uh, situations where landlords have, haven't been proactive and they have a revolt where everybody in the building says, you know what, we don't have to pay rent because, you know, the landlords can't kick us out. Well, that may be misinformation. Uh, so, so just kind of being, uh, I think, proactive is, is uh, just critical. Yeah. Shane, when it comes to people who were planning on retiring in 2020, they said, I'm going to list my property, use that capital to, to, li- to you know, sail in the sunset. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and here we are in this situation when people are coming to you saying they want to sell today, what, what should they be aware of? Well, I think the biggest challenge when trying to sell is, is th- there's a couple. So number one, uh, it's going to be very difficult to get bank financing. 
the banks are inundated with uh, property owners coming to them asking for some sort of help. And so, you know, for the most part, unless you unless you're forced to sell, I would say that it is, it is not a good idea to be selling today. And then if you just think about the buyer psychology, so I'm, a, I'm an investor, I'm a buyer today. When I see a property come out today, I, I immediately think that the seller has some sort of, uh, um, you know, is being forced Stressed. to sell. Yep. And, and, and you just, you know, as a, as a seller, you don't want to put yourself in that kind of situation. So I think that, uh, you know, any of the successful brokers I'm talking with, they're advising their clients don't, you know, if you don't need to sell, then don't. And, and, and frankly, a lot of people own commercial real estate for that kind of residual cash flow. So provided you're able to, you know, continue to, to generate money, um, then, you know, the, the, there really shouldn't be a need or, or high uh, uh, priority to sell today. That would be my advice. Okay, Shane, let's switch gears. We're talking about sure. defense. Let's play some offense here. There's got to be some yeah. opportunity in a market like this. Um, yeah. And lots of people, you know, like having physical real estate they can touch. Bricks and mortar. Bricks and mortar, right? So yeah. what should you be looking for if you're an investor in real estate right now? So the the some of the things that I'm looking for and, and what uh, what I think would, would make the most sense are where do you where where do you think the market's going to be in the next five to ten years? Right. And so it's challenging to know what's going to happen in say retail. I think that that's that's uh, you know there, there's going to be certain uh, retail that that you can kind of clearly see will still be around because it's going to be harder to replace with say uh, e-commerce or Amazon. Yeah. Um, but what I would say is you know multifamily uh, people need a place to live. You've got a lot of. Uh, uh, demographics that are driving that, whether it's millennials or baby boomers. Uh, so I think that that's fairly, uh, I don't want to say safe in, in the sense, but I think that you can kind of, you know, g- get behind a strategy like that. And I think that you're going to start to see um, a higher uh, use for industrial and the last mm-hmm. mile. And so, you know, those are two asset classes that I like. With respect to playing offense, uh, I think right now it's it's great to be having conversations with brokers because uh, the agents that are out there right now, uh, they still need to, to make money and uh, they're having more and more uh, conversations that maybe they wouldn't have had because frankly, they were too busy closing deals. And if a broker or, or an agent knows that you are looking, um, you know, if, if you're new to commercial real estate, for example, I think that, that you're going to get their attention. And, and I think, one of the misconceptions is, you know, in commercial real estate, it is very relationship driven. And so if right. you don't have those relationships, now you can start to build those. Uh, because like I said, I think that you're going to, you're going to start to see agents that have a little bit more time. And, uh, you know, and, and if you're uh, a credible buyer, uh, they will certainly give you the time to, you know, to, to run through some of the opportunities they have. Shane, we have 30 seconds before we have to go to commercial break. Give us some numbers. I'm a numbers guy, so what kind of what kind of yield or cash flow rate of return are are those two top two picks that you have? What can you expect? What's a reasonable expectation in the Calgary area? I think right now, if you're going in with a six percent cash on cash, that is realistic. And then if you've got some sort of a value add component, you can push that to eight to ten percent. Uh, I think that those are uh, reasonable expectations. And as the market deteriorates, you might even be able to push that higher. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's good advice. Shane, thank you. Uh, we appreciate you taking some time and sharing some insights in, in this space. Yeah, I, uh, I I had a great time with you guys, and uh, hopefully it was helpful. We'll keep in touch, you bet. have been joined yeah. by Shane Mellinson, Director of Mellinson Developments, and also the host 
of the Investing Advantage podcast. Be sure to download that if you're interested in, in real estate. Um, okay, my friend, it, it, this is a total wealth conversation. Correct. Real estate, stocks, bonds, land, closely held businesses, whatever the mix is. Right? How does it all fit in your yeah. retirement? And then yeah. how do you start to draw on yeah. all these different pools of money so you can have the lifestyle you want in retirement? We're going to discuss that on Tuesday, June 16th, 7 p.m., live online. You need to register, though. So go to morethanmoneyradio.com. That's morethanmoneyradio.com to register. Stick around after the break if you're interested in, uh, from a tax perspective how we might have to pay for all of this government debt. You're on 770 CHQR and More Than Money. Welcome back here with Dave and Faisal on 770 CHQR and More Than Money. Been lots of um, you know financial incentives. Well, maybe incentives is the wrong word, but actions taken to uh, you know to protect Canadians and uh, you know seniors can be amongst the most vulnerable uh, in the community. And so I think it's uh, with all these moving parts, it's probably worthwhile maybe taking an inventory of the various programs that are in place to make sure that uh, you know Calgarian seniors are, that are listening to this are taking advantage of everything they can to yeah. you know to help them through this period of time. We've got Jim, Jimmy Golem back. Excuse me, who's a regular recurring guest, of course. He's a managing director, tax and estate planning for CIBC Private Wealth Management with us. Uh, Jamie, thanks again for taking some time with us today. For sure. Thanks for having me. Well, there is, as I said, there's a bunch of financial relief that the government's offering uh, to seniors. Maybe you could give us a sense of um, an inventory of what those programs are right now, and then we'll, we'll do a little future gazing in case there's uh, things you might see coming up. But where, where are we now? What are all the different programs? Yeah, well, the big one that was just announced uh, just a few weeks ago, that hasn't uh, come out yet, but it's coming out shortly, is the one-time payment for seniors. So basically, yeah. uh, seniors are eligible for the OAS, the Old Age Security, uh, or the GIS program, uh, will be receiving an additional amount. So they announced uh, back in uh, earlier May that they'd be putting an extra $2.5 billion of financial support for seniors, and it's going to come in the form of a one-time tax-free payment. It's going to be $300 for any senior that's eligible for the OAS and an additional $200 for seniors eligible for the GIS, the Guaranteed Income Supplement for Lower Income. So there's about 6.7 million seniors in Canada eligible for the OAS and 2.2 million eligible for the GS. It's a one-time payment and uh, it's going to be paid. We don't know yet. Uh, We asked the government that question. They said, as soon as possible, so that's about as close as I know, um, it's going to be direct deposit directly into the account. And if you don't have direct deposit, of course, they'll, they'll send you a check. Uh, it's non-taxable. So, again, you get the full amount. There's no withholding and there's no tax slip, and it doesn't have to be reported on the 2020 tax return. And you don't need to apply for it. That's right. It's just an automatic thing. So if you're eligible and you're getting the OAS, in fact, we, we've learned that even if you are uh, so high income that you're clawed back, and there's very few people, uh, you're still going to get that. I still payment. get it. Yeah. That's right. Okay. Well, that's good. Are there any other programs that you see that could be coming down the pike for, for seniors? Well, I think the one, there's a couple of things that have sort of been uh, been talked about. So, so we know, for example, on the registered plan side, we have RSPs and RIFs, of course, and you know at 71, you've got to convert the RIF. So we've already had some relief that, of course, people will be familiar with. That was announced from the get-go uh, because, of course, there's been volatility in portfolios and, and some people's retirement income, depending on what your portfolio was invested in, your retirement portfolio has decreased in value. Uh, what they've done is they've actually reduced the minimum amount 
uh, for 2020. So there's a minimum amount that you must take out from your RIF every year. They've reduced that by 25%. Uh, they say in recognition of the volatile market conditions, the impact on seniors' retirement savings. So a reduction of the minimum amount. But other people are asking, well, could we go further? In other words, for seniors that are not yet into the RIF stage, um, would there be a possibility to perhaps allow Canadians to withdraw a limited amount, maybe it's ten or twenty thousand dollars from their RSP tax free, and then repay it back over a certain number of years? Mm-hmm. So we already have that concept with the home buyers plan for yeah. first time home buyers, with the lifelong learning plan for post secondary education, and we allow people to repay uh, that money, let's say over five or ten years. So no word yet on whether the government is actually considering that, uh, but it was an interesting proposal proposed originally by the uh, uh, authors of the C.D. Howe Institute. So that's, uh, that's a possibility. Jamie, there's been a lot of conversation um, about all this money that's been pushed out to individuals and businesses throughout this country or racking up a whole bunch of debt. At some point, we got to pay the piper. Um, from a tax perspective, if you were looking at some of the things that could happen to um, pay back some of this debt, what are the tax thing? What are the tax situations that you can see happening that people should be thinking about as uh, as we start to pay this down in the future? Yeah, well, look, I think in the short term uh, we're not overly worried about it because at the end of the day, it's just the interest cost on the debt that's going to be a problem in terms of annual budgets and deficits. So interest rates are basically zero. So really, it's almost free to borrow money now from the government as long as people keep buying up the money. Mm-hmm. Um, so effectively, uh, you know, the government can borrow and, and pay basically no interest and, and have no problem. The problem, of course, ultimately is is if interest rates go up, uh, then this could be very, very expensive in terms of the deficit. So, uh, you know, what could the government do in terms of uh, additional taxes? Look, I think our tax rates are pretty high. Alberta is pretty low compared to the rest of Canada, but... <laughs> You know, it's, it's pretty high, around 50% in most provinces, and, and half the provinces are actually at, at higher rates, 53 or, or 54%. So I don't actually see an increase in personal tax rates, although it is theoretically possible. But other things they could look at, you know, could they increase the GST uh, by 1% or 2%, you know, possibly? Could they look at, you know, maybe changing the capital gains tax, which, of course, was talked about in the run-up to the election, uh, minority government, we know we have that. We know the NDP wanted that. So, you know, right now it's 50% inclusion rate. Could that go up to 75%? Perhaps. So, again, those are some of the tools that I think government has in its tool shed beyond simply increasing the general rate, which I think is already pretty high if you're in the top bracket. One last question before uh, we wrap it up. Jamie, I'm interested in your thoughts um, going forward. What uh, further relief could be available for seniors? I know. There was some election promises uh, made back in uh, September of 2019 that might affect um, uh, OAS payments, uh, those kinds of things. Any thoughts around what uh, what still is on potentially on the docket? Yeah, so what people are waiting for is back in the fall of 2019 in the round two election, the Liberals, Liberals did promise to increase the old age security uh, by 10% for seniors that are at least 75 years of age and also increase the Canada Pension Plan survivor benefit um, by 25%. So basically, you could be looking at, you know, survivor benefit up to uh, $2,100, and the increase to the OAS could mean $736 more uh, for eligible seniors. So those changes were supposed to come in in July mm-hmm. and then ultimately be indexed to inflation. We've had no indication whatsoever whether or not the government's on track to implement those. So 
something to look forward to perhaps uh, in the next uh, weeks and, and months ahead. Jamie, thank you very much for taking some time with us, giving us a bit of an inventory and your thoughts going forward. Appreciate it. Take care. All right. We've been joined by Jamie Golenbeck, who is the Managing Director of Tax and Estate Planning at CIBC Private Wealth Management. Um, this is a hot topic, Faisal. Oh, yeah. yeah I mean, tax. <laughs> tax, you bet. Um, and income and guaranteed income and income sources and income gaps. These are all things we're talking about at our upcoming webinar. Yeah. So we're going to discuss how you receive income, how to make sure you have income for the rest of your life, and some ways to maybe minimize tax along the way. We're going to talk about this on Tuesday, June 16th, 7 p.m., live online. You need to register, though. So go to morethanmoneyradio.com. That's morethanmoneyradio.com to register. Okay, stick around after the break because I want to share with you an amazing story, a conversation I had this week about um, why the wealth management business is not just about money. You're on 770 CHQR and More Than Money. Welcome back. You're here with David Faisal on 770 CHQR and more than money. Um, I had a really interesting week. I said that at the top. Uh, and, and partly it was because some of the conversations I had with various individuals. Uh, and so and, and you had similar experience, yeah. right? So it, it, it's interesting to talk about. I want to see if, if I can make this interesting and we can draw a connection. Because I don't think these things that I'm going to talk about necessarily at a high level, seem to be connected. Most people don't do it this way when they're when they're talking about their retirement. Right. I spoke with a um, a gal this week who's gone in just new into retirement and uh, lost her husband within the last twelve months and uh, was wanting to make a change. And I have to tell well, you, wanting to come to us, yeah, yeah. want to make a change in, yep. in in investment practice advisors. Um, and not not because the previous advisor did didn't do a good job of investments, okay. Um, so I want to talk a little bit about about that because I think it's a really important piece to the to the overall bit. But but here's the second conversation I had, and I was quite struck by it. I had another conversation with a with a client. This happened to do with paperwork, and you know, given all that the money that's being printed, tax is top of mind for a lot of people, and so he was quite concerned on some of the paperwork. It wanted to know how much could be shared with the government for fear that the government is going to know how much he had and going to come after him and all of these things. Okay, sure. um, those two things at a high level are not connected. Sure. Okay, but when we were when I was digging down in both cases, I think they are they are principally the same thing. Okay. Okay, and this goes this goes to managing lifestyle, not managing money. And so I I, I was thinking this week, and here was what was interesting to me. I was thinking this week about the business that we're in. Mm -hmm. What what is our business? Is our business investment management? Is it wealth management? Mm -hmm. Or is it the human journey of people transitioning to or living in retirement? Yeah, yes, yes, and yes. Right? <laughs> and what's most important? Yeah, the journey. It's the journey. Yeah. And so so and you can chime in because I know you had an interesting um some interesting conversations as well. But as I was dealing with these these sort of what appeared to be at, at a high level very different streams, um with the gal I was chatting with, it became apparent very quickly, because she was quite emotional, that, that what she was missing in the engagement, uh, because the, the numbers were good, right? The, the performance numbers the of the portfolio. Yeah, and, okay. um, and, and she would be first to say that. Everything was good, okay? But she was very vulnerable, right? A lot of fear given all of the change. Like her basic foundation of safety and security has been shaken 
um, in two different ways, right? This, this uncertainty of transition and retirement and then losing her partner, yeah. losing her husband right away. So it was the conversation I had with her really didn't have much to do with investment management. Mm. It had to do with the fear of the uncertainty and the change, yeah. right? So recognize that there's a, a journey taking place here, and that journey when we go through a major transition involves a lot of change. And the same happened with this other gen. It was a very different topic we started on, yeah. right? But it's the fear of my ability to be able to live out the retirement that I want, transition assets to the kids, other you know beneficiaries. It, it was the fear of the uncertainty around what might be coming as a result of these changes. Yeah. And so it spoke to, again, journey, right? So on one hand, I'm talking about paperwork and administration. On the other hand, we're talking about the loss of a, of a loved one. And ultimately, they end, we end up in the same place in terms of What's a conversation. And communication. Yeah. It, it's... It, it's, it's with this, with this female client of ours that met with you, mm. the conversation of, that she had with her advisor previously was next to nothing. It was technical. It was very focused on the investments. Yep. And that wasn't her area of interest. And we've had this many a time. Oh, yeah. I have seen, Dave, people, one of the two of the couples sit in front of us, turn their head around, not look at us, when we start getting into the portfolio and then we kind of, light bulb turns on and then we start talking about the bigger picture, right. the things that are important to that individual. Yeah, how's it impact the grandkids and you know, all these things. Yeah, when you family. are dealing with a family lifestyle, when are you dealing with a family situation, the word family, meaning both parties have to come to the table. And if you all you speak about is investments... And that's not what the directive or the journey that both parties want. Mm. You're going to lose one of them. Mm. And you miss out on 50%, maybe even more, depending on who that person is and the influence that person brings into the, into the couple for making decisions. What happens? How do you plan a strategy? How do you plan for the long term when one member's either mentally or physically not there? Right. Right. And I had the similar conversation yep. Yep. where every opportunity we've had to have the, in this case, the wife just come in and meet with us. Let's have a conversation was no. Right. I, I don't have time. It's not a priority. Um, later. Then comes this COVID crisis. Mm -hmm. Husband's freaking out. And the husband says, I need to make sure everything is okay. And my question to them is, tell me your responsibilities individually on the finances of the family. And you should have just seen his face. Like I asked him a question that no one's ever asked him before. Right. And he's like, well, I think I pay X percent of the, of the household um, expense and she pays Y. So the minute someone says think, that means they haven't had a conversation. There's no clarity. So then what is the number? Mm -hmm. And he goes, well, I don't know. Have you guys had this conversation? No. What are the expectations of each of you? Are right. you expecting that, right. that your partner pays a certain amount? Well, no, not really. Is she? Yeah. Well, mm -hmm. shouldn't you have that conversation? Yeah. Shouldn't there be a... Yeah. And then have that conversation, and if you need someone to facilitate that conversation, I'd be happy to do that. And let's figure out what the strategy on how we handle our finances... Right. For the, for the couple, then we can build a plan. In support of the lifestyle. Correct. In support of the lifestyle. With the highest probability so that both of you can reach your goal. 
I don't care, honestly, no. if people merge all their money together and they live in, under one under one bank account. Right. They have separate accounts and they do their separate thing. There's a ratio spending, X percent to him, Y percent to her. I don't care how you guys figure it out. Right. Just have an agreement right. and make sure you're all clear on that agreement so we can build a proper plan with highest probability so you can reach your goals, your lifestyle, yeah. the things that you're afraid of. We can eliminate those problems along the way. And I, I get, I get, I get, it gets harder in my job when one partner's not having communication with the other. Or with us. Because we or don't know us. what their goals, so, dreams, and fears are. So when our client doesn't want to tell you about their total assets and yeah. their net worth right. because they're afraid of the government, well, how am I supposed to do my job if I don't know your total picture? Right. So that was interesting, just to bring it back to that, because I, I, I didn't mention that earlier, but one of the conversations we had says that there's a, a, an area about total net worth. He was concerned again about disclosure to the government. But he, but he said to me, Dave, you don't need to know that. And I said... Contraire, mon frere. Wow. That's a very French of you. Very French. Yeah. Um, But I said, hang on a second. Ten years ago, ten years ago, you know, that may be true. In fact, it may be true today. But I said, if I don't know that information, what is the implication of me not knowing it? Right? Is your expectation that I'm just going to sell you financial products? Because our industry has done a lot of that over the years. Yeah. Right? Or is the expectation that I'm going to help... I don't like to use the word manage here. Help manage the, the, the lifestyle to a goal, right? Help ensure that we're not exposing you to a risk we unintentionally. We coach, we manage, we work with you side by side. I'm on your team. Yeah. I'm on your team. Right. Withholding pertinent information for me to do my job is a problem. Yeah, but, it, but it, it, it's a total problem. And it indicated a gap. And I think as an industry, we could do a lot better job. But as consumers... Of, of financial advice, not financial products, but financial advice. There's yeah. a different mindset here, right? What am I trying to get from the team I'm working yeah. for, right? And it, and it struck me again. It started really very um, uh, poignantly with, with the experience I had with this gal. And it was a reminder, and I set a note out to our team in particular about this because uh, I was struck by it again. We're not in the business of managing money. Don't get me wrong. That's an important piece of what we do. That's not our business, though. Our business is about adding value in that journey that people are taking into and through retirement. retirement. And yeah. what is it they want to experience and their family dynamic and all of those things. And if we, if we lose focus on that, then we start talking about stocks and bonds, right? If we lose focus on that, we miss, we miss asking pertinent yeah. questions about how the dynamic of the family works. How many times have we asked questions to clients and they go, wow, no one's ever asked me that before. Right. Why is that important? And you walk them through how it fits their overall goals, financial plan. Oh, wow, I'm glad you asked that question. Right. You mean no one's ever asked? You guys don't even ask the question amongst yourselves. Cool. Right. We do this all the time. Right. But no one has asked that question from your previous advisors that you've had? Right. No. Well, right. that's why you're with us. Yeah. Well, <laughs> and, and so riffing a little bit on the industry, too, we got off our game, right? You got, we got to decide what business we're going to be in. And, and listen, I guess there are financial product salespeople that are necessary and, yeah, and, that, and That's just their job. That, that's just there right. to provide a product. That's exactly right. Our, but that's, our job, when you, especially when you transition to retirement, yeah. especially when you have a death of a spouse and you're, you're doing things differently, you're right. doing it on your transitioning away from that right. into something, your new normal. Yep. Well, you need a transition specialist. Right. And a team that works with you because- that way you have every angle covered and you can enjoy the journey going forward. 
Let's wrap it up, my friend. We got to talk about all this stuff. Yeah. How does it all fit together? We call it asset dedication or bulletproofing your retirement. We'll tell you how to do that on Tuesday, June 16, 7 p.m. Online, live, but you have to register. Go to morethanmoneyradio.com. That's morethanmoneyradio.com to register. Thanks for spending some time with us on 770 CHQR. This is More Than Money. We'll talk to you next week. David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli are portfolio managers and investment advisors with CIBC Woodgundy in Calgary. The views of David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli do not necessarily reflect those of CIBC World Markets, Inc. Clients are advised to seek advice regarding their particular circumstances from their personal tax and legal advisors. If you are currently a CIBC Woodgundy client, please contact your investment advisor. CIBC Woodgundy is a division of CIBC World Markets, Inc., a subsidiary of CIBC and a member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund and Investment Industry Regulatory Organization of Canada. David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli are portfolio managers and investment advisors with CIBC Woodgundy in Calgary. The views of David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli do not necessarily reflect those of CIBC World Markets, Inc. Clients are advised to seek advice regarding their particular circumstances from their personal tax and legal advisors. If you are currently a CIBC Woodgundy client, please contact your investment advisor. CIBC Woodgundy is a division of CIBC World Markets, Inc., a subsidiary of CIBC and a member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund and Investment Industry Regulatory Organization of Canada.